0: Family, how's it going? Um, If we haven't met yet, I'm Jerron from down in Joplin. Uh, It's glad to share this time together. Let's jump into John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Uh, We'll read verses 1 through 11. You there? Great. John 15. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is a a pep talk he's giving them right before he's about to die and go off. He's, he's training them and, and coaching them for life uh, with him in heaven and with the Holy Spirit down on earth. And Jesus, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you Um, If we were to put a title or a tag or a theme on this, we'll call it the best self. Uh, The best self. I don't know what you all do in Chicago, but this is what we do in Joplin. Uh, Tag someone next to you and just say, friend, what is your best self? Now tag your second choice to the other side. Friend, what is your best self? We'll talk about the best self. Back in uh, late 2021, it was October or November, I believe, my wife and I went down to Tulsa, Oklahoma to watch Maverick City music uh, at a concert. They wouldn't call it a concert. They'd call it a worship night. But we went to watch Maverick City at a concert. Um, So we're like an hour into the thing. And one of the artists comes up on the stage and she says, we're not here to entertain you. We're here to worship Jesus And like 4,999 people are like, yes. And me, the one out of the 5,000 in the room, I stand there like, no, I paid $30 a pop for these tickets. Entertain me. So we're like another hour, which by the way, these concerts, which is what I call them, last like four hours. So we're like another hour into this concert. And uh, I look around and I see like, 4,999 other people standing up shouting and singing to Jesus great is your faithfulness and immediately I'm like inspired and just as soon as I hit the heights of inspiration I fall into a depth of anxiety. Drone, how in the middle of a worship concert can you go from inspiration to anxiety? And as inspiration, I looked around at this auditorium in Tulsa and saw old people and young people and black people and white people and all kinds of people. And I thought, what would it be like to be a part of something that brought together this many people who are all from different kinds of backgrounds under the name of Jesus? That's inspiration. And anxiety, I fell lower and lower by telling myself, Jerron, you've got about six months to make this happen in Joplin or else you're not worth your time on earth and God's done with you. Have have you ever done that? For the sake of this uh, conversation, what I just went through, I'd say it illustrates something that I'd call the search for the dignified self. Or if I could turn that phrase, the search for the best self. Jerron, what is that? We all have this desire for a dignified self, a best self, a self that we feel as if God accepts and is other, as if others accept and as if we accept. We want a dignified, a best self that is accepted by others. And so our whole life or, or most of our life will be a, a journey or a pursuit to, to obtain this dignified self. Some of us will do it by way of accomplishments. If I can just do this, then I'll be my dignified self. Uh, You live in Chicago, so if, if you do the big thing in your business or your corporation, then you're your dignified self. Or some of us do it by actualization. I'd argue that that's the most common way in America right now, is we're being told that you're your most dignified and your best self when you figure out what your deepest feelings are and make your life align with that. Example of that would be, I'm my best self when I determine how I feel sexually and then make my whole life match that thing and project that out into the world. Or some of us will do it just by seeking affirmation. If I can get enough likes on Instagram or Facebook or whatever you use, or if I can get somebody to compliment me, then I'm my best self. This is the search for the dignified self. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, Jeron, that sounds real psychological. Well, this is theological as well. In the Bible and in the church world, we call this self-justification. This is the attempt to justify ourselves before God and others by way of some work. You, you church people do it too. You do it with God. You do it with your pastor. You do it with your friends. You do it by telling yourself, if I can get this leadership position in the church, then I'm my best self. Or if I can do enough of the odds of the church oughts, then I'm my best self. And here's the thing with this pursuit of the best self through actualization, accomplishments, or affirmation is that our emotional and mental and spiritual health and vitality and tranquility are constantly fluctuating based on how we're doing. When I feel as if I'm getting close to my best self, then I'm on a high. And as soon as I start to fail, then I'm on a low. When I accomplish my way to a sense of my best self, I'm on a high. When I get hurt and I'm bedridden for six weeks and can't move, then I'm on a low. When I get enough people to compliment me, that I'm on a high. When they don't care tomorrow, I'm on a low. We're constantly fluctuating, going up and down, up and down on this pursuit of the best self, the dignified self, and we never obtain it. And if we do somehow obtain it, where anxiety pushes us to try to maintain the thing, and here's the thing, I'm tired of that. Are you tired of that? Here's the question I want to ask, where can we find rest? On this search for the dignified self? Where can we find rest on this pursuit of the best self? The good news is that there's a man in John 15 who, while we're all on this pursuit of the best self, he shouts at us and he says, Hey, look over here at me. Did you hear what he said? This is Jesus. He says, I am the vine. To those of us who are searching for the best self and the dignified self, the first voice you should hear is Jesus shouting at you saying, I am the vine. Now, a vine is a weird way of Jesus to describe himself. There's a lot of things he could use to describe himself king, brother, servant, judge, but he chose a plant? Why would Jesus use a plant? Well, if you want to do that, you got to search back through Israel's hit records list uh, throughout history and watch this theme that threads through. In specific, the first song that pops up is Moses. In Exodus 15, Moses. writes a song, and in Exodus 15, verse uh, 17, Moses says, you, God, will bring Israel in and plant them. Moses, he metaphorically says that God has established or planted Israel for his own purposes. But then fast forward in Isaiah, he remixes Moses' song, and in Isaiah chapter 5, he says, the vineyard of God is Israel, and Judah is God's pleasant planting. I look for justice, but behold, bloodshed. I look for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Isaiah's remix says that, yes, Israel was planted by God for God's purposes, but they didn't produce what he wanted them to produce, but that's not the end. Asaph, another guy who's not as well known, but he also had a hit record in Psalm chapter 80. Asaph remixed Moses' remix and Isaiah's remix, and he said, uh, take care of this grapevine that you, God, yourself has planted. watch what Asaph does. He does something really, really, really interesting. This son you have raised for yourself. Most of the Psalms are written in parallelism. So uh, line one and line two are two different ways of saying the same thing. So watch what Asaph does. Take care of this grapevine, that's Israel, that you yourself has planted. This son, that's a person that you've raised for yourself Asaph, in this remix, he subtly shifts the idea of the vine from being a a nation to a person. So if you put all three of these together, these songs are telling a story of God establishing Israel as a plant for his own purposes. Israel not living up to those purposes, but then God prophetically and and redemptively raising up a person to be that vine. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, remember those songs y'all sing? Remember what you just listened to on K-Love while you're yelling at your kid on the way to church? I'm that vine. Here's what it means for Jesus to be a vine. It means that all of God's purposes are pointed at Jesus. All of God's purposes are pointed at Jesus. That means two things. One, God has plans for Jesus, and God has plans through Jesus. On one, God has plans for Jesus. I've seen how you walk through the stores. You walk through that plant aisle, telling yourself, I know I killed the last 17 of them, but you, I got some plans for you. I'm going to water you. I'm going to put you in a nice spot. I'm going to put you in the sun. I'm going to sing to you because I heard singing to plants makes them better. I've got plans and things I want to do for you. When Jesus says he's divine, he's saying God has plans for me, Jesus. And then it also means that God has plans through Jesus. Some of you, you also have plants maybe in your backyard, a grape tree, a apple tree, a pear tree, a cherry tree, whatever you want it to be. And you don't plant it just for the sake of it being there. You plant it because there's something you want to get out of it, fruit. When Jesus says, I'm divine, he's saying there are things that the father wants to get out of me. There are things that God wants to do through me and just pull it from Isaiah, namely establish righteousness, which is right relationship with God and others in justice, tranquility, peace, rightness on earth. All of God's purposes are planted at Jesus. You know what this tells me? You got to not get it twisted. I know you're asking right now, people around you might be asking right now, specifically politically and socially with different movements, who is God for? Is God for the conservative thing? Is God for the liberal thing? Is God for the BLM thing? Is God for the MAGA thing? What, what is God for? And listen, God says, I'm for Jesus. God's not leaning left. God's not leaning right. God's leaning towards Jesus. Let me poke at us now because we'll also make a virtue out of being balanced and centered. God is not balanced according to the American democratic and political game. No, God's not playing that game. God's for Jesus. Jesus is the one whom God delights in. Jesus is the one whom God's redeeming all things through. Jesus is the one whom God's purposes rest on. Jesus is the one whom God is exalting and establishing. Jesus is the one whose God is telling you to listen to. Jesus is the one whom God is saying, all of my blessings will flow through him. Jesus is God's vine. Now, that's really good to know about Jesus. And it might make you say, amen, that's good news. I love that. But for the sake of this conversation on the pursuit of my best self, what does Jesus' self have to do with me? Jesus, in his own special way, he looks at us and he says, do you want a part of this? That's where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. What he's doing with this metaphor is he's communicating a concept that uh, scholars would call union with Christ. That means you're joined to Jesus. Jesus, he's in you and you are in him. Here's the best thing about being joined to Jesus. When you're joined to Jesus, he shares himself with you. Like if you took a cup, and threw it in the ocean. The ocean water would be in the cup, and the cup would be in the ocean water. And check this. Look what else happens. The ocean gives the cup its wet. The cup doesn't give the ocean its dry. When you're joined with Jesus, Jesus is in you, and you're in him. And his qualities, he shares his qualities and character with you. You don't rub off on him. This is what it means to be saved. You're joined to Jesus. Jesus is in you. You're in him. And he's sharing himself with you. He's translating himself on and into you. He's reproducing himself in you. Now, let me give you five good reasons why that's good news. Just five quick reasons why that's good news. These are going to be the points today. Um, Write this one down. One, um, Jesus joining himself to you is your ultimate reality. Jesus joining himself to you is your ultimate reality. Uh, Some of you who came up to Celebration Midwest this summer, you heard me tell this story, but I was born in 1993, which means I was around high school age when um, track phones came out. I had a little blue and gray Nokia, I had snake on it, and I had like 10 minutes. That's what I got for Christmas one year. And so one day my mom, she called me on my track phone, wasted my minutes, and wanted to talk to my brother and sister. Now, on the same Christmas, my brother and sister, they got a toy landline phone for uh, Christmas, so I walk the phone over to them, toddlers at the time, and I say, "Hey, Mom wants to talk to you," and they refuse to take the toy landline phone, or they've refused to take the track phone. They keep taking the toy landline phone up to their ears and speaking the little baby toddler tongues that toddlers speak, because my smart brother and sister they thought that the scene connection of the toy landline was more real than the unseen connection of my track phone. But they didn't know that the unseen connection of the track phone was more real than the seen connection of the toy landline. How often do we live as if the seen connection of skin color and politics and and, and sexuality and gender is more real than the unseen connection of the Holy Spirit, which connects you and me to Jesus. Listen, your connection to Jesus by way of the Spirit is the most real thing about you. You're joined to Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit and that connection, that being joined to Jesus is what defines you. Right now, we are in a society right now that's pushing and pushing and pushing, uh, defining ourselves according to our sexual preferences or desires. Listen, friend, you may feel what you feel at this moment, but the most real thing about you is you're being joined to Jesus. Can I push a little bit further? Because some of you right now don't feel close to God. Uh, you, you, you feel as if you're, you just don't feel close to God like you used to. You just don't feel close to God like you do on other days. Listen, being joined to Jesus is the most real thing about you. So I know you don't feel close to him. You're still connected to him. The, the connection by way of the Holy Spirit is more real than your feeling of close or distant from Jesus. You're just connected to him. You're close to him. Always, this is your ultimate reality. Here's number two. um, When Jesus joins himself to you, he gives you his status. When Jesus joins himself to you, write this one down, he gives you his status. I used to coach junior high basketball when I was in Bible college here in Joplin, and I used to have my boys run for like 30 minutes at the end of practice. I'd always tell them, teams are going to be better than us, but they dang sure won't be in better shape than us. Um, So we just used to be running. Um, But then one day I decided, ah, let's play a little game. So I told all, I think 17 of my boys at the time, you pick one person on this team and that one person is going to come up and shoot two free throws. If he makes both free throws, uh, I'll count that make as your make and all y'all get to go home. If he misses at least one of those, either one of those, I'll count that miss as y'all's miss and All y'all gotta run, double. So they pick my guy, uh, he's a really good player, they picked him, he went up, he hit one free throw, they jump, they're sweating bullets, they're crying, he puts up another free throw, he hits it. Everyone's jumping. Everyone's shouting. They're all talking about they're going to Disneyland. I counted his make as their make. I counted his accomplishments as their accomplishments. When Jesus is joined to you, when Jesus joins you to himself, he counts his make, his accomplishments as your accomplishments. He counts his status as your status. The theological term for this would be imputed righteousness. All that Jesus accomplished and all of his status, he says, I'm sharing that with you. Jesus is a son of God. He says, I'm sharing that status with you as a child of God. Jesus is sinless. He's saying, I'm sharing that status with you as as innocent before God now. Jesus is holy. He's saying, I'm sharing that status with you as being set apart for God. Jesus shares his status with you. Listen, the Christian life, though it's effort, it is never earning. We work, but we never work for for a status. We're always working from a status. We're we're never working for being right with God. We're always working from the place of being right with God. We're, We're never working for the place of holiness. We're working from a place of being holy in Jesus. We're working from never for now, I know it's a big thing right now. There are all kinds of studies that come out within the past two years that are a big thing of the mental health effects that social media is having on a lot of us. We will see someone on social media who has this perfectly curated life, and we tell ourselves, if I can get like that, then I'm accepted, then I belong, then I'm valued. And, and here's the truth. A lot of us, we never get there because you don't have enough money to fake doctor yourself up like that. So we fall into a pit. Listen, listen. When you're joined to Jesus, you have his status on your best days and your worst days. Even when your hair's not done, ladies, you're still a beloved child of God. E- even when you're struggling, dude, you're still adopted by God. You're, you're always living from, never for. Here's a third one. When Jesus joins himself to you, write this one down, he shares his stuff with you. When Jesus joins himself to you, he shares his stuff with you. Um, I exhausted all of Netflix during 2020 and 2021, and Hulu, um, slipped into uh, Amazon Prime video, and I can't get myself to pay for Peacock. But we watched a lot of TV over the past two years in our free time. Um, and one of my favorite shows that I watch is called Marrying Millions. Maybe you've seen it. It's a reality show uh, that, that follows uh, couples that are dating, I think five couples that are dating. And one half of each couple would be a millionaire, The other half of a couple would be dead broke. And so the show is following these couples to see if they actually end up getting married. And there was one couple that was a a woman. She was about five years older than the dude. And she was an absolute gazillionaire. And this dude was like, he he almost didn't have a job. That's at least what it seemed like. Um, So they go through the whole show. They end up getting married. It's all happy. He gets the love of his life. But check this. He got all of her stuff too. He got her house. He got a bank account. He got a car. He got a credit card. He got the love of his life, which was all enough by herself, but he also, as a bonus, got all of her stuff. When Jesus joins you to himself, you get him who is good all by himself, but in generosity and grace and extravagance, he also gives you all of his stuff. He says, I have an intimate relationship with the Father. Here, it's yours. He says, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Here, it's yours it's yours. He says, I have an inheritance and glory in front of me. Here, it's yours. Jesus gives you all of his stuff. I know some of you right now have this picture in your mind of this relationship with God that you can obtain after you perform enough and string together enough good days. Listen, you ought to stop trying to perform and obtain a certain kind of relationship with God and just receive the one that Jesus is giving you for free because it's better than anything you could try to get for yourself. He shares with you his stuff. Here's number four. When Jesus joins himself to you, he shares with you his DNA. When Jesus joins himself to, with you to you, he shares with you his DNA. I just had one of my closer cousins. Uh, he just had a daughter about six months ago. And she came out with all of his DNA. Uh, for better or for worse, she's just got his DNA in him, which, his DNA in her, which means she's going to grow to talk like him to look like him, and to act like him. Even though she can't talk and walk right now, she's still going to grow to be like him just because she has his DNA in her. Jesus, when he joined himself to you, he gave you his Holy Spirit and gave you a new nature. He gave you his DNA, which means you're guaranteed to grow into who he's going to be. That means you're going to grow to look like love. Everything that you do is an expression of love for God and for other people. You've got a bright future ahead of you because you're going to look like Jesus. That's why you ought to take time every now and then and just say, God, I thank you that I'm not who I ought to be but I thank you because I know I'm not who I'm going to be. I'm not who I ought to be. I still got some rough patches, but I'm not who I'm going to be. I'm going to be like you. And then here's the last one. When Jesus joins himself to you, uh, your me becomes a we. It's when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The picture here is the branches, just by nature of being connected to the vine, they are now part of one plant. There's a... um, Last year, at some point, there was a man um, in our church during one of our early meetings. He walked up to me and the other anchor at the front of the room and says, I want to get saved and baptized this morning. Uh, So after scrambling and putting together an impromptu baptism service, we're sitting there and he says, why are there so many people at this thing? This many people, 38 years old, this many people never came to my birthday party. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm about to hit him with the pastor jab and say something like, welcome to the family. And before I could open my mouth, three other women in the church came up, ran to him, gave him a hug and said, welcome to the family. He was born into a new family. He got a we that day. Listen, when Jesus joins you to himself, you automatically inherit a we. This is good news to me because right now we are more lonely than we've ever been. And we're all searching for a place to belong. And Jesus says, when I join you to me, you don't have to search. You just receive this community. And you're trying to find community with people based off of politics. You're trying to find community with people based off of common interest. No, no, no. Jesus says, I'll give you my community based off of me. And that transcends everything. So, so looking through these five things, here's what I conclude. When Jesus shares with me himself, that's better than any self I can create for myself. I don't find my best self. I don't create my best self. I receive Jesus' self, which is better than my best self. My best self is joined to Jesus. In him, I am holy. In him, I'm a child of God. In him, I'm adopted. In him, I have glory ahead of me. In him, I have righteousness ahead of me. In him, joined to him is my best self, I want that. How do I get that? What does it look like to get that? Um, let me tell you about uh, how me and my wife got together. Um, we were both first-year RAs in our dorm at the same, the same year, so I messaged her one day and I said, hey, we should, we should get our floors together so we can do dorm stuff together. I was lying. Um, So she she obliged and we went and got coffee one day so we could plan dorm stuff. And I like manipulated the whole conversation, orchestrated the whole thing so we never talked about dorm stuff. I only, I shifted the conversation on her and me and our relationship together. And by the time the coffee shop closed, I thought, dang it, it closed. I guess we gotta come back tomorrow. And I did that for like seven straight days. Then finally, at the last day, she said, hey, I got I to gotta go to Hobby Lobby to get some stuff for my dorm. And I thought, you know what? I got to go to Hobby Lobby, too. Man, wish I had somebody to take me, which I had a car I could take myself. And I just kind of looked over at her. And she said, you want to you go? You want to ride with me? I said, how'd you know? Then, then two days later, we had the, I went to a Bible college, so we had a convocation chapel service dinner to open up the school year, and she said, I got to go to the mall to get some jewelry for it, and I said, I got to go to the mall to get a tie. Here's the thing, y'all don't know me, but I don't wear ties. I've, I've probably worn a tie, like, at my wedding that's it. I don't wear ties. So I went and got a tie, dropped her off at the dorm, went back to the mall, gave him that tie, got my $7 back from JCPenney. And then I just start taking her out on all kinds of dates. We're going to Subway. We're going walking. Here's the best one. I text her one day and I said, when you get out of class, come outside. I'll be in front of your door. And so she got in the car and I told her, pick a direction, north, south, east, and west. And I had a date planned in a different city at in each direction. Guys, take notes. It was real good. So I'm doing all this, thinking we're going steady, steady, like I'm hers, I put myself out there. And I come to find out she's going back to her dorm every night telling people about some good friend she has. And in my mind, I've already given myself to her. The story of us getting together is me giving myself to her, waiting on her to realize it so she can make herself mine. Now, some of you are like, "John, that's kind of real weird, isn't it, dude? Maybe. Um, Some of you, if you're real church and you're like, Jesus, I want that kind of guy. Jesus, I know I've read about Boaz and I've seen what you do for other people. I don't want a Boaz. I want a Geron. You might not ever do that, but I know what God did send you. He sent you Jesus. And the story of Jesus being joined to people is Jesus making himself theirs and waiting on them to realize it in faith so they can make themselves his. He made himself yours when he became a person like you. He made himself yours when he lived a life like you. He made himself yours when he died death for you. He made himself yours when he got back up in new life to give new life to you. And when you believe in him in faith, in him you're joined, and in him you're right with God, in him you're holy, in him you have glory, in him you're the beloved. Jesus made himself yours, and he's saying, realize it in faith and make yourself mine this is why it says abide 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 simply means to believe Some of you, you've never believed in Jesus. He says, if you can believe that I'm God who came and lived as a human, an actual real human and lived a real human life and died and got back up. If you can believe that and acknowledge that, agree with me about that, then instantly you're joined to me and I'll give you myself, which is better than any self you can create for yourself. But, but here's what b- abide really means. Some of your translations that you read probably said remain. It doesn't just mean believe, it means keep on believing. He's talking to Christians now already. He says, keep on believing. That means as you're living your life, Christian, and whenever you look around and you have the temptation to try to do something, accomplish something, actualize or, or, or seek affirmation in order to obtain your best self, he says, no, 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 look to me believe in me. Keep on receiving from me because the self that I constantly give you is better than any self you can create for yourself. My favorite picture of that, uh, there's a couple in our church that spent three decades in some other country, first trans- or helping them come up with the written language. They were oral language, helping them come up with the written language, and then translating the Bible into that written language. They spent 30 years doing that, and they probably did direct kind of work that led to more salvations and will lead to more salvations than I ever, or a lot of us ever would. They've got a lot of reason to try to, to try to seek their best self in what they've done. But a few months ago, I had a friend who came and visited Joplin and met them, and he said, I heard y'all did some crazy stuff. And the wife said, yeah, but hi, I'm the beloved in Jesus. She had every opportunity to seek her identity in what she did, but she said, I'm refusing to do that. I am who I am in Jesus. That's the kind of life we ought to live. That's the kind of life God's calling us to live, to to seek our best self by receiving his self, which is better than any self you can create for yourself. Amen.